just giving them a hard time. If you have your Bibles, we are uh, going to do a special New Year study. Uh, uh, so if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 14 verses of Exodus chapter 3. If you need a Bible, Greg just got up and he'll bring one to your seat to follow along with us. Exodus chapter 3, the first 14 verses this morning. The title of my message is Overcoming Obstacles. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning to have your word on our laps that we could open, that we could read, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us, instruct us, draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. We thank you, God, for our relationship with you. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, to be born again, Lord, that they would especially just see how much that you love them and and their need to come to you today. We thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity to gather together in this place and to be in your presence for the sweet time of worship. And now we just continue to worship you through the study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's all over. All the Christmas dinners and, and you know, all the good. I think I still have like five or six bags of different goodies and chocolates sitting on our counter, hoping that someone will come in and take them, you know, so I, I quit picking at them, you know, but we, you know, we've had the dinners, we've gorged ourselves with the foods, we've watched all the college, you know, bowl games, and, and for some reason, after all that, you know, you decided to step on a scale. Uh, why would you want to do, I have no idea. And when that happened, you go, whoa, you look down and saw a number you've never seen before, a big number, an ugly number, a really hideous number. In fact, there's 13 numbers higher than the last time you had stepped on those very same scales. Right then and there, he said, I'm making a New Year's resolution. Other people make resolutions. I, I read one of a year, reminds me of a New Year's resolution about this guy who said this. He said, in, in 2016, I will get my weight down below 180 pounds. In 2017, I will develop a realistic attitude about my weight. In 2018, I will work out three days a week. In 2019, I will try to drive past a gym at least once a week. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of this uh, New Year's Day prayer. Dear Lord, so far this year, I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or overindulgent. And I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a whole lot more help. Amen. You know, the beginning of a new year is always a great time for new beginnings. And that's what makes a new year so exciting. A new year holds the, uh, you know, the possibility of a fresh start. The hope of a, a positive change of direction. The promise of a new beginning. Unfortunately, most of us have lived, lived long enough to know that many of our new beginnings fizzle out long before we've intended them to. In fact, a lot of our new beginnings never end up getting off the drawing board as they're, they're thwarted by the threat of, of all kinds of potential obstacles. Well, this morning, I want to look at four such obstacles. And I want to offer some suggestions for overcoming them. We're going to look at the real-life story of a man named Moses. Now, Moses, you remember, was born with a death sentence on his head. 
Pharaoh had ordered, ordered all the Hebrew males baby killed, and, and God found really a creative way to spare Moses' life. In fact, God's plan was so creative that Moses and his mother were actually taken into the household of Pharaoh himself, and there grew up together in a very privileged and royalty. Moses grew and became a trusted and valued asset to Pharaoh's kingdom. Life was great. Future looked bright. But then disaster. Moses saw an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew slave and Moses got angry and he killed the Egyptian. Pharaoh then put a bounty on his head and, and forced Moses to run for his life. Overnight, his life of privilege, prosperity was replaced by the brutal reality of, of, of a hard life on the land. And so as we meet Moses this morning, 40 years have passed. And that time he's married, he's raised a family, he's been accustomed to an entirely new way of life as a shepherd, and he has completely re-envisioned his future. But we meet him this morning at a time of new beginnings. 40 years in the desert has a heavy price to pay for a momentary lapse of judgment. But now God was ready to give Moses another chance at greatness, a new beginning. He had had 40 years to imagine every possible obstacle that could kill any hope of a new beginning, yet somehow he overcame them all and seized the opportunity before him. I think we can do the same thing if we learn from the example of Moses in in dealing with these four common obstacles to new beginnings. If you're taking notes, number one, the first obstacle is the belief that our best days are behind us. That's an obstacle. I read of a, of a church named the Little Prospect Baptist Church. Now I'm sure it's because they, you know, they met on Little Prospect Street, but, but, uh, you know, it, it could be fitting name for many churches today. Many churches are, are living in the past. Their best days were yesterday and not tomorrow. And, and obviously, if you buy into that kind of mentality, they were. But the question is, why buy into it? What possible good can come from that kind of thinking? I mean, think about Moses. His situation. Could you imagine him sitting down at you know the local Starbucks there in a coffee shop, and and all he does is talking about, oh man, when I was in Pharaoh's court, and the people around him, oh here comes Mo again. All he does is talk about back in my day, he had a ninety-one chariot, fifteen ninety-one B.C. Custom wheels, custom paint job, wearing purple robe, doing as I please, going in out of Pharaoh's court. Man, those were the days. I mean, who would have blamed him after, you know, 40 years as a desert shepherd, he assumed his most productive years were behind him. His current friends only knew him as nothing more than a simple shepherd, certainly not some prince of Egypt, and certainly not in a place where God would ever use him again. But God has other plans. Look now at verses 1 through, through 4 of Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. First off the bat, we read that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Not, not a created angel, but, but the angel of God, the eternal word, the son of God. This is a pre-incarnate picture, not picture, it's a pre-incarnate Christ. See, John 1, 18 says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. The only way to know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. 
Well, Moses here, he's stunned to say the least. It's been 40 years since he's heard from the Lord and not a peep from heaven. And now God comes to him and he's speaking from a burning bush. It's interesting how God spoke to him. I mean, he he could have done it through an earthquake. You know, he could have done it through some dramatic miracle. But instead of of that, it just took an ordinary object and he did this extraordinary thing, this burning bush. In other words, as a bush is burning, there's nothing extraordinary about that, but a bush that keeps burning and still remains intact, that's unusual. That's out of the ordinary. So what's the point? The point is something out of the ordinary happened to get the attention of Moses and the Lord spoke. You know, I've come to pay attention, close attention to situations in my life that happen out of the ordinary. You know, you, you have your routine for the day. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I got to go here and I got to do that. I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, something unusual happens. Something unexpected happens in your day. And you say, what's up with this? I don't have time for that. But you see, it may be God who is intervening in your life today and He has a work He wants you to do, someone He wants you to talk to, to minister to some opportunity He has for you to be used by Him. He doesn't want us living off of past experiences where we say, yeah, you know, years ago God used to use me in ministry and and help people, but now you know, I just got my job that I do and I get to work and I do this and I do that. No, the new year brings new opportunities to be used by God. Maybe it's a ministry he wants you to get involved with. Maybe it's a person he wants you to reach uh, who you never would have spoken to otherwise. Maybe it's something he wants you to think about, something he wants you to consider. So I say pay attention to those, uh, those out-of-the-ordinary moments that God just might be stirring in your heart to be used by him once again. See, our best days are not behind us. They are before us. And the message here is that through an ordinary bush, God touches Moses and was about to do something absolutely new and amazing in his life. And this brings us to our second obstacle, and that is, number two, the belief that personal defeats are final. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Then Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, And he said, here I am. Now, there's something interesting about this bush other than that it's on fire, not burning. The word for bush here is sene, which indicates that it's the acacia bush, uh, the thorn bush of the desert. Now, this is confirmed in Acts chapter 7 uh, by Stephen when he preaches, when he says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flaming of a burning thorn bush. I mean, thorns are one of the many studies in Scripture that really show to us the Bible's intricate design by one person. I mean, just take a concordance and, and look up the word thorn or thorns. You go through your Bible, I mean, you'll get a complete picture. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, you know, where they're cast out of the garden that, that, and, and the thorns grew as a result of the curse that, that had been caused by their sin. I don't think there are any thorn bushes in the Garden of Eden. Outside the garden, you know, possibly, but immediately when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, man, the ground that they stepped on, they would have thorn bushes. I mean, could you imagine, maybe when you were a kid, remember running out into the field barefoot and stepping on, on, a, on a sticker, on a, on a store, you know, thorn, you go, ow! And their first experience with that, oh man, all that came as a result of their disobedience. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
and toil you should eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. What is the, the spiritual significance of thorns in the Bible? Well, in the parable of, of so, soils, Jesus interpreted thorns as the worry of the world, the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. So worries, riches, pleasure. I don't think Adam and Eve were ever worried in the garden before the fall. They were never concerned about what they were going to eat, what they were going to do. Not a, not a care in the world. In this world, one of the great manifestations among people is worry. You know, they're, they're walking around and get this, this worried look on their face. And there's riches and pleasures. These can be thorns. The book of Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Second Corinthians, they all talk about thorns. And you read about them and you come to one conclusion. Thorns are a fruit of sin. Plain and simple. Thorns are a result of disobedience to God. Of perversity, of, of selfish ambition, of pride. Thorns are the fruit of sin. And before God can do anything with Moses, he had to bring Moses to an encounter with the thorn bush of his life. Why is that important? Well, knowing that this allows us to see at least two amazing pictures that we see in the Bible. Number one, think about this. Remember when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, I remember that after, actually after that, when he was arrested and the soldiers were, were torturing him, they wove a crown of thorns and shoved it down upon his head. What's that significant? Well, knowing that the thorns are the fruit of sin, then we get an even clearer picture of what Jesus did for us by going to the cross. He bore the fruit of sin uh, that we deserved on himself. In fact, Isaiah 53, 4 tells us, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, number two, the other amazing thing, getting back to the burning bush, is the picture that Moses saw. He saw the thorn bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. Now, fire in the scriptures speak of God's judgment. And God, as the Bible says numerous times, is a consuming fire. But this bush, this thorn bush, the fruit of sin was not consumed by the judgment of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's grace? That's what I see here. Remember again why Moses was there at the first place. He killed an Egyptian. And the Bible says that after he killed him, he looked this way and he looked that way and then buried him in the sand. Which when you think about it, it's not really a good idea to hide, hide a body in the sand. I mean, what happens when the wind blows? It uncovers that which is hidden. So Moses probably thought that after he did this, no one would find out. He could just keep on going. No one would know. And, and the problem was his sin found him out. But maybe that's why he wrote in Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. Found him out, it'll find ours out, you know, if we try to hide it. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We're told in Hebrews four thirteen, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Maybe this morning you're trying to cover up something right now. Maybe there's some secret sin in your life. Let me strongly encourage you as we go into the new year to confess it and deal with it because nothing is hid from God. We're told in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
So I believe that God many times wants, has a desire to do a work in our lives, but as we go along, we sometimes let these, these weights and these obstacles or some sin slow us down. And the work that God desires to do, either He gives someone else to do, or accomplish, or to say the very least it's postpone, postponed until we deal with that sin or we deal with that, that weight or that obstacle. For Moses, I believe that God was ready to use him in a mighty way, but, but Moses chose to act independently from God, and so he had to face the consequences of 40 years in the desert. Yeah, Moses made a huge mess of things, but God is quite an expert at cleaning up messes. Maybe you feel like you made a mess out of your life. Maybe you, you wanted to do the right thing, but you wanted about it the wrong way. God will still work in spite of our wrongdoing. Again, God is good at cleaning up our messes. I mean, think about this. The last miracle that Jesus performed was meant to cover up one of his disciples' blunders. There in the garden, you know, the, the guards come and, and, and Peter, you know, he, he pulls out his sword and, and thankfully he was a fisherman and not a swordsman. He goes to cut up the guy's neck and he gets his ear and chops up the guy's ear. And then I can just picture Jesus going, oh, Peter, 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 put away your sword. And Jesus healed the servant's ear. I don't know how he did. I don't know if he picked up the ear and kind of put it back on and did it that way. If just a new ear popped up from it, I don't know. But, but uh, it was the last miracle that Jesus performed. And he did it to fix one of his disciples' blunders. Yeah, Moses made a big mess of things. And he could have been discarded altogether. But God had other plans. Now, what a tragedy it would have been had Moses refused to give God the chance to redeem his failures. And what a tragedy it is if we do the same thing. Be it divorce or adultery or drug or alcohol addictions, ethical lapses, moral breakdowns. Yes, they are all significant in the eyes of God. Yet all are redeemable by the grace of God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now look at David's life. You know, he, he has an affair with Bathsheba. He had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, he has him killed. He tries to hide his sin. He finally confesses his sin. He gets right before God. And through that relationship, Jesus comes through that family line. God's a redeemer. Listen, it's a risky and needless thing to close the door on opportunities for new beginnings by thinking that our personal failures has rendered us permanently useless to God, that our personal defeats are final. The God we serve is a God of second chances and third chances. He is a God of new beginnings. And here Moses in verse 3 takes a step into that new beginning. He says, I, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Look now at verse 4 and 5. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So Moses is told to take his sandals off, for he's standing on the ground of holiness. I think of uh, uh, Joshua was told the same thing before the battle of Jericho in Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. I mean, if you look at the symbolism of dirt and, and mud and clinging to the shoes and, and Moses being ordered to take off his shoes, the instrument used for walking, it shows us that those that draw close to God, those that are worshipers of him, ought to be pure and holy in our walk with him, in our conversation uh, with other folks. In fact, we're told in scriptures in 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 
You know that God refers to himself as holy uh, more than any other attribute that he possesses in Scripture? God wants us to understand he is a holy God. And as the children of a holy God, we need our lives to be marked by holiness. Now let me say this. Holiness is not a hairdo. You're going, okay, what's that about? Well, sometimes you get the idea if you're really, really holy, you have a holy hairdo. And there's these ladies out there, and maybe you've seen them at Walmart, and they, they, they don't wear makeup, and they only wear dresses. And, and I see these, and they're in these holiness movements, and the women, they can't cut their hair. They're not supposed to cut their hair, so they pile it way, way, way up high like this beehive or something, and, and they wear these long dresses, and they can't wear makeup. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, come on, Tom, you're mean. You shouldn't be getting down on those poor women. Listen, if they want to look weird, it, it's their thing. Okay, that's fine. But what saddens me is that they're told in church, and looking like that, it's being spiritual. It, it's a sign of holiness. Listen, if you want to look like that, that's fine. Look however you want to look. But your hair isn't an issue of holiness. Nor is the length of your hair. Nor is the lack of your hair. <laughs> holiness is a matter of the heart. Holiness is being like Jesus. I mean, the word saint, sanctify, holy, means to be set apart, dedicated unto God. Why? Because we serve a holy God. Lord says to Moses, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And then he tells them this, look at verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I bet. I mean, here we read this verse and, and I think we can sometimes miss the meaning of this. Who is he the God of? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What do we know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What do we know about these guys? Well, Abraham, did he ever have a lapse of faith? Absolutely. How about Jacob? He was Mr. Lapse. I mean, here's what God is saying. Moses, I am the God of ordinary people at times that have messed up, but through it all, I have accomplished some extraordinary things in their lives and I'm about to do something extraordinary in your life as well. And that's good news for all of us. Listen, don't believe the lie that your personal defeats are final. God wants to use you, but, but you have to make sure you're keeping yourself in the place of being used by God. We read in verse 6 that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I mean, who wouldn't be? I mean, he says, oh, I'm the God of, of, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You're on holy ground. Get rid of your feet, man. I'd be down on my face going, oh, shaking in, in fear. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. I mean, there he is. Moses stood before God Almighty. Nothing to prove. Nothing to perform. This, this time in the desert has transformed this, this proud Egyptian prince with an axe to grind into a barefoot, humbled servant. And instead of fearing man, man, he's fearing God right now. He's finally come to the place where God can use him once again. A place of humility. A place of holiness. Same way, you know, our past failures do not prevent us from being used by God as long as we've come to that place of humility and holiness. You know, the, the casual attitude people seem to to have today towards God to me is appalling. The disrespect that, that I have seen for God by people who claim to worship it is amazing. Unholy lifestyles, compromising walks, unwholesome words coming out of people's mouths, their actions are appalling to a holy God. 
Ephesians, rather, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2 tells us, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He is a holy God. I mean, the, the cherubims in, 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 in Revelation, Holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. Yes, God wants to use you, and our past failures do not prevent us from being used by God, but you have to make sure you're keeping yourself in that place of being used by God, set apart for the Lord. Jude, verse 20 and 21 tells us, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourself in that place where God can use you, set apart holy for the Lord. This brings us to the third obstacle, and that is, number three, the belief that we're too old to do great things. Look, drop down to verse 10. Lord says, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Stephen, again, in his great sermon in Acts chapter 7, calculates that Moses, at this time, was around 80 years old when God commissioned him for this, this new great assignment. No doubt, man, his skin was, was weathered, you know, tanned from the blazing sun, seasoned. He was a lot wiser. Unknowingly to him, he was now ready to rumble. He didn't know that God was whipping him into shape. He thought, yeah, I'm 80 years old. I'm just going to hang out with the sheep, live out the rest of my life. That's the end of my story. But no, God had other plans. What, what a blessing that he found in deciding that the age factor was irrelevant when you're dealing with God. There's a story I read about a hundred-year-old Japanese man who was being interviewed for a newspaper piece about his extreme old age. And the reporter asked him, do you think there's any merit to the stereotype that people from this village live a lot longer than others? The old man thinks for a second and says, you know, I'm not sure. Let me go ask my dad. (laughs) And then the stunned reporter said, your dad? Where's he right now? The old man says, I think he's out fishing with my grandpa. Winston Churchill, one of the greatest statesmen of of the modern era, Churchill is credited almost single-handedly with fortifying the will and the hopes of the British people as they endured the horrific assaults of World War II. Churchill was 65 years old when the war came to Britain. Old enough to retire. I wonder who would have blamed him if if he did. I mean, how grateful we are that he didn't. In fact, it was Winston Churchill who said this, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. See, it, it's a risky and needless thing to close the door on opportunities for new beginnings just because of the date that appears on our birth certificates. You know, Caleb, he didn't retire. In fact, he was still at 85 years old taking out giants. Now, I don't want to miss what the Lord is telling, calling Moses to do here. Look at verses, verses 7 to 9 now. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and the... No, no Termites. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Notice, the Lord tells Moses, back in verse 7, I have seen, I want to underline that, I have heard, 
I know. And then in verse 8, I have come down to deliver. You know, Christianity is the only quote-unquote religion where God comes to man. All other religions, it's man attempting to get to God. If you do this, if you live this way, if you, if you act this way, you may reach nirvana, or you may reach heaven, you might even be your own God. Only the, the God of the Bible sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen, Jesus is our deliverer because God has seen. He has seen the situation we are in. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. God has heard. He has heard the cries from the results of sin. He knows our sorrows. He's acquainted with our griefs. Isaiah 53. And finally, He has come down to deliver us. And here God is asking Moses to be His, his spokesperson, to, to use Him to be the man to reach the people. God says to Moses again in verse 10, Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Look down at verse 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses has lived a great life. He's lived a humble life. Formerly he was in Pharaoh's household, but for the last 40 years he's been a nothing. A shepherd. And not even to his own sheep. This is, this is his father-in-law's sheep. Who am I, Lord, he says in verse 11. I'm a nobody. But see, that's exactly how we need to see ourselves if we truly want to be used by God in 2019. I'm a nobody. I'm just a servant of the Lord. It's been said that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years realizing he was a nobody, and 40 years seeing how God can take a nobody and make them a somebody. See, if you think you're a somebody, God always has a way of letting you know that, that, that you're, you're nobody. I'm a nobody. You know, I, I read a story about this young preacher who strutted to the pulpit expecting to wow the congregation, and he humbly walked out of the pulpit after the sermon bombed. What happened? He asked the senior minister, the wise seasoned preacher counseled son, if you would have gone up to the pulpit the way you came down, you would have been able to come down the way you went up. I think of John the Baptist's ministry. Everyone was coming out to hear John preach and, and to be baptized by him. Then Jesus came on the scene. And John's disciples, they came to him and said, oh John, everyone's going over to Jesus' ministry. John, you know, what about this? And what was John's re reaction? He must increase, I must decrease. John 3.30 That's the attitude we all must have. No matter how long you've been in ministry, He must increase, we must decrease. So, your best days are not behind you. Your personal defeats are not final. You're not too old to do great things. And finally, the fourth obstacle we need to overcome for the new year is this. The belief that you shouldn't move until you have all the answers. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Moses said, Lord, let me get this straight. You, you want to use me to deliver your people from the slavery of Egypt. So 
I'm going to go to them. I'm going to tell them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. What if they say, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Who died and made you Pharaoh? You know, what if, what if they don't listen, Lord? Well, a lot of what ifs. What, what if they ask me who the God of our father is? What do I tell them? What if the people don't receive it? What if they don't believe what I'm saying? What if they ask me a question I don't have an answer to? God already answered this back for Moses back in verse 12. He says, I will certainly be with you. I got your back. You just tell them that I, I am has sent you and I'll give you the wisdom. Listen, folks, God has our backs. When you go to share your faith with someone, God has got our backs. Just take that step. What if they ask me a question I don't know? God still has got you covered. Now, I do believe the longer a person has been in God's Word, the Bible, you know, in Bible study, you have a lot more information stored in your mind that, that more than you realize. Added to the fact that Jesus promises us that His Holy Spirit would bring things to our remembrance that we need to know. I'm amazed sometimes and when I'm talking with someone how something that, that will come to mind that, that I didn't even know that I knew or at least I've forgotten, suddenly the Holy Spirit, you know, you know, brings it up, reemerges the data, you know, processing, and it comes up there and, and the information falls out. And it's absolutely appropriate for the situation that I'm in. Let me say this. In our culture, there is so much biblical illiteracy that it, when, it, when it comes to Bible knowledge, in any given room, there is bound to be someone who knows less than you do. Trust God to give you the right things to say to be used by Him. He can take care of it. In fact, that is the answer he gives Moses in verse 14. He's worried all about how they'll respond and what to say when asked who sent them. The Lord says, don't worry about it. He says, just tell them, I am who I am sent you. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this is a very difficult title to explain because it's all encompassing of, of who God is. He's real. He's perfect. He exists apart from any other influence. He causes to be what is. I mean, we cannot really fathom how, how deep this title is. It's the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, of self-existence, immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any others, any circumstances. He promises that He will be what He will be. That is, He will be the eternally constant God. He stands ever-present, unchangeable, completely sufficient in Himself to do what He wills, to accomplish what He wills to accomplish. And He identifies Himself as, I am who I am. No matter when or where He is there, the name I am is what's called a a tetragram. It's a word with with four letters. It's actually Y-H-W-H. We translate it Yahweh or Jehovah. We don't really know how to pronounce it. It was such a, a holy name that the, 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 the Jewish people, that they, they, they didn't want to say it. And, and because they didn't say it, they actually forgot how to pronounce it. And so we really don't know how it's pronounced anymore. Just that the Lord says, I am who I am. See, the issue is not who Moses is. The issue is who God is. God was about to do this great work with Moses and he wants him to know that he's going to go out with the power and the authority of God Himself, the ever-present, unchangeable God, completely sufficient in Himself to do what He wills to do and to accomplish. Moses' authority is based upon His divine call of God and the divine presence of God with Him as He goes. And the same thing for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Now maybe Moses felt, hey, my best days are behind me. Maybe he thought, my personal defeats are final. 
Maybe he thought, Lord, I'm too old to do great things. Maybe he thought, Lord, I can't move until I have all the answers. But once he had the assurance that God was with them, all those obstacles, they're gone. They vanished. Nothing left but opportunities. Listen, as we close and we prepare to enter into time of communion, God has got so much more for us to do as his people, as a church, as Christians. And he's asking us to take that step of faith and say, Lord, use me however you want to use me in 2019. I know you are with me. So help me, Lord, not to make excuses, but to look for opportunities. Help me, Lord, to hide your word in my heart as David prayed that I might not sin against you. Lord, help me to stay in that place of of usability, Lord, living a holy life, set-apart life, knowing that you are with me wherever I go. You know, every year we pick out a verse for the year, and this year, I shared already, the Lord laid them out, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Because it talks about how powerful God's word is to affect our lives. But it, it doesn't do us any good unless we're in God's word and we're reading God's word and, 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 and we're listening to the Lord speak to our hearts. So my prayer for 2019 is that we'll be a, a, a church truly relying upon God's word, hide it in our hearts, share it with those around us. That as we see God move through His Word in a powerful way in 2019, it's going to touch a lot of people's hearts. See, as we close and enter into communion, it's a special time where we can remember what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. In some respect, coming to communion is like, like stepping on holy ground here. We're going back in our minds, if you would, to that, that uh, Last Supper, Jesus sitting at the table, His disciples sitting around Him, you know, John leaning up against him so much that he can hear, hear the Lord's breath. I mean, that is close. I always picture what would it be like if I was there. Where would I want to be? I want to be the Apostle John. I want to be right there next to Jesus. And when, when I see him pick up the bread, I'm right there just looking at him, you know. He's got the cup. I'm right there. I want to be that close to him. And that's what we do as we come to communion. where We're recognizing, man, we're there. We're in his presence. We're seeing what he's done for us at the cross taking the beatings, taking the, 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 the penalty of our sin upon himself, his blood being shed to forgive us of all our sins. See, we come to the communion. It's a time that we can bring all of our, our, our failures, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, all of the, the things that had weighed us down, and we just let them there and give them to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm leaving them there. I'm going to walk. i got a new beginning. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. We put everything down before the Lord and say, Lord, this year, I'm leaving these things behind. I'm walking with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you give to us. Lord, to spend this time, what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. Really, it's an opportunity for us to be able to examine our hearts. Lord, we recognize we're on holy ground here. You are a holy God, a wise God. And I know, Lord, that your desire for our lives is to use us to reach those that don't know you. Lord, and I know the way you accomplish that is as we study your word and apply it to our lives. We're a great tool fit for your use. And so, Lord, I pray that for all of us. This will be a year of really getting to your word. I pray, Lord, that... uh, 
at this communion table. We just put everything there at the cross. Lord, we just lay it all down. And know, Lord, that you love us, you forgive us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Bless this time, Lord, as we celebrate this together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.